Hey guys, for those of you that are new to the podcast, my name is Mo and this is the podcast Between Everything and Nothing. And for all you guys coming back, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. And today we have a very special guest, good friend of the family, Reem Cassis, calling in all the way from Dubai. Hi, Hamoudi. Thank you for having me on. No Absolutely problem. Stop. What are you? <laughs> uh, quick disclaimer for those you don't know, Hamoudi is kind of a very like family term for the name Mohammed. Most of my family just calls me Hamoudi, so if you guys hear that throughout the podcast, that's just her calling me my name. So anyway, how's it going, Reem? It's going well. It's actually 6 p.m. over here on my end. I think it's early in the morning over there for you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to help me out. Anytime, anytime. So for the people living, uh, listening in right now, why don't you just give us a quick kind of background about who you are and your pretty much like how you got to the point where you are today. actually Lebanese by origin, uh, but I grew up in Canada, and then I ended up going back to Lebanon to complete my undergraduate degree, which is in business, and was always super interested with the divide between the East and West, and how coming from a privileged society and seeing the people around me and what they go through in order to just get to the basic way that I grew up in life, I got really interested in the human rights world. So I ended up going and doing my master's in international relations in San Francisco and um, I coupled that with a human rights uh, emphasis. I worked in both the States, Canada and Lebanon over a period of six years. Most recently I was a policy advisor for Deputy Minister's Office for Social Development in Canada. So I've I've dabbled a little bit in East, West, politics, human rights, and all the fun stuff that's going on today. Wow, I didn't even know, I didn't even know your credentials, like, went that deep. Oh, you didn't? Oh, you just invited me here just to, just, <laughs> you know, to invite me here? <laughs> no, but that's really good. So, before we get into the politics thing, I really was just curious, how has quarantine been in Dubai, would you say, versus the West over here? Uh, so, to me honest here uh i think here it started in march where so my husband travels back and forth between dubai and saudi arabia every week and um he traveled on a sunday and then on a monday everything kind of just stopped all airports stopped they gave people 48 hours to evacuate from wherever they were to come back to their country of residence or their country of origin So he ended up coming back here, I think, I would like to say it was March 17, around that time. And then Dubai went into a full lockdown, a 24-hour lockdown for around a month. Um, You could only go out if you apply for a digital permit online for groceries, medical emergencies, or... um, I'd like to say pharmacy or oh and money withdrawal so that's how far it went over here and then the country started slowly opening back up in phases where the lockdown was now only between 8 p.m and 6 a.m um and then it gradually kind of just opened things opened up at 30 percent capacity then 60 percent then 100 and right now the country's fully running the airport actually opened up five days ago for all tourists so I would, I would think that we're, uh, the country's fully up and running right now. 
Uh, but people are required to wear masks out at all times, and there's a 3,000 dirham fine, which probably equates to around eight hundred dollars, eight hundred or so American dollars, and if you, you are caught not wearing a mask. Would you say it's actually enforced, or that's just a rule and people just ignore it and go about their day? No, to be honest, it's very enforced. You never see anyone outside without wearing a mask. And even in cars, there's a there's a law that if you're in a car and there's more than three people in this car and they're not immediate family members, you all have to be wearing masks. So even if you're in a car and you see people driving around wearing their masks, everyone's always wearing the mask. It's impossible not to. So how have cases been overall in Dubai? Have they spiked at, at all? Are they Have they been low numbers? in numbers but I think uh, don't quote me on this but I think Dubai was the third or fourth best country in the world in terms of uh, testing so the only reason why they would spike which I don't in my humble opinion I didn't see a drastic spike the way that you saw in the United States or the way that you saw in some countries in Europe Um, they were around between 400 to 700 cases a day over the the last four or five months. Wow, it's actually wow. been five months. I was thinking about today. Wow, that's um, that's a lot. But yeah, like they've been. It is what seven hundred cases a day. That's like I mean, uh, compared to America, it's probably not as much. But I was thinking, just because Dubai, I know they're enforcing those rules pretty strictly. I thought it'd be a lot less. But then again, you have to realize that they've practically tested more than half of the country. True. True. So I think those numbers go factor into that, and um, but uh, in terms of hospital admittance, a week ago Dubai re- uh, released that they just released their final COVID patient from the hospital. That's good. So yeah, oh, that yeah. is good. It is really see. Good. Honestly, I, I feel like we were... so. My, my bad. Um, these countries, I feel like we're just ahead of the curve. This is something the United States should have done from square one. And yeah, on that note, how are things over there? Because obviously we hear a lot about what's going on over there. So a lot of so basically it started the same way. At first, these cases exploded out of control. No one was really sure how to handle it. Some people wore masks, some people didn't. I think it took them at least two, three weeks to finally implement like strict rules to get people underneath control. But then every state kind of started fighting back saying oh we should open up because of the economy suffering right now we're losing business this and that but then over time you're gonna see you're seeing the same states that opened up early are shutting back down just because of their severe spiking cases that they had i think in florida they had about they hit that point where they're having like ten thousand a week just because they were one of the first ones to to reopen but michigan was kind of very strict like senator gretchen was very strict with before her reopening she made she stayed closed when other states were opening even though everyone fired against her she kind of stood her ground and although cases are starting to re-spike now slowly but they haven't been at the rate that other states have been doing it at so here it's been about 500 600 a day whereas you're seeing in other states like california um, florida arizona they were spiking in the thousands a day nothing was pretty much enforced like i'm gonna use florida as an example florida is a it's a beach state it's uh it's also uh, 
what's considered to be a party state and I'm only using those as examples because it's impossible to wear a mask on a beach even here on the beach you can't possibly wear a mask and it's impossible to wear a mask in a very crowded club um, at night and you've been hearing a lot of stories from like Florida that lots of people are getting them because they're not just not only wearing masks but they're not going about the whole social distancing do you think that could be a reason as to why Florida has so many cases? 100%. And honestly, every story you ever hear crazy that happens in the United States always starts with Florida man, so-and-so. Like, Florida, I feel like, is just the breeding ground for all this crazy stuff that goes on. Had a friend had a friend tell me the other day that they got something in Florida called Gatoring, where they inject gasoline into their veins. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Honestly, so I feel like them opening up that fast, even though for the beaches and stuff, I think the governor for that state underestimated, like, under, overestimated that his people would actually follow the rules when he put, you're going to wear a mask at the beach. Because the day that happened, everyone was out there wearing, um, everyone was out there partying on the beach, like nothing had happened. Yeah, that too. And the other thing, like the state, there are so many things that have happened uh, in the states. One, you guys had uh, your Black Lives Matter protests, which uh, brought a lot of people out onto the streets, even though you saw all media outlets cover it. And pretty much people were all wearing masks, even while they were protesting. Mm -hmm. But then again, you saw the protests of individuals protesting against wearing masks. And... Um, uh, creating these COVID parties. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but go to a party yeah. with people, one person is infected, and then see if you get infected kind mm. of thing. Yeah. Which is like, I guess in that way, they're trying to build people up with antibodies and kind of remedy the situation in a different path than the other people are trying to do. But that's very, you can't really do that because not, that's like on the assumption that everyone will, though I've had, I have heard cases where people have recovered in like two, three days from COVID, but other cases like COVID, like myself, I, it took me three weeks to fully recover from it. So it varies and you can't just say that, oh, this kid will be fine, catch COVID four or five days, you'll be good. You can leave after that, do whatever you want. Definitely. Yeah, no, but... Um, like, I saw a report yeah. saying in um, in Japan, their unemployment now is less than 2%. They barely have any COVID cases. Just because they come from a culture where wearing masks is fine. So when they were told to, like, you know, to enforce wearing masks, it wasn't really a big deal for them. And they were able to contain it in just a few months. True, true. But there is a thing. So I think that sometimes the media has headlines that kind of seem a little skewed. So Japan in general has always had a pretty low unemployment rate because they have a very high aging population. Mm -hmm. So all their, all, their, uh, all their new grads pretty much are able to get a job right out of the university. Um, so yeah, in terms of the, the, like uh, headlines and what the media is saying, um, Different countries have reacted to it in different ways. I honestly can see how some countries were deemed far better than others, uh, such as, uh, I think, Singapore yep. had and Thailand. But then again, you have to think about the tourists that came, how fast they closed off their borders. I think the United States had a border issue out first. Yeah, they did. 
And speaking of border issues, did you see the new Trump rule about the immigration switch? Yeah. So you have to you have to be clear about which Trump rule they come the, out very. The the immigration visas that the students that are not going back to school have to surrender their visas. Definitely. So I actually uh, that kind of hits close to home because, like I mentioned in the beginning, I actually was an international student that went and studied in the United States, and I believe that. I keep remembering myself and when I first got my acceptance and how I was preparing myself. And I was living in Lebanon at the time and how I was preparing myself to go. And sometimes something that you've worked so hard for as a student, when you're still a student, for it to be taken away due to an administration, a policy change by an administration, that let's be honest, I'm gonna be very honest about this. There was absolutely no reason for that change to be enacted other than to open up the country prematurely, mm-hmm. thinking that this would help the economy by keeping, I don't, even though I don't understand it's a double-edged sword, by keeping your international student out. Uh, and they are the ones that actually provide almost 45 billion US dollars to the economy each and every single year. Um, so by keeping them out of the country where it's not only the tuition that they pay because the administration said that they can still do their online courses from abroad, but it's the rent that they pay, the places that they go. International students are known to go to countries and travel a lot within that country. That's it. That provides a lot of money for that country at any specific time. So the only reason that I see that that was enacted is to force the country to open up prematurely because the decision came out on one day. And then the next day you see all these top tier schools scrambling to set out their reopening plans in order to account for, uh, for these international students to be able to come back. So one of the things that uh, wouldn't have allowed international students to get visas is that courses are not gonna be given online. Mm-hmm. So some schools automatically overnight decided that, hey, we're going to bring back 40 or 60% of of our students um, for half in-person courses and half online courses, which, to be honest, isn't beneficial. And Harvard and MIT, 48 hours later, came out with a full-fledged, no, we're actually not going to do that. Because one, a lot of our faculty is above the age of 60, and that puts them in a vulnerable position for us to open up early. And two, this goes probably against constitutional rights that you want to keep these international students, kill their hopes and dreams. And some of them come from places like Syria and Ethiopia, where they can't even, where they can't even access proper, proper connection or internet connection to be able to do their courses. Mm-hmm. Oh, and me think and like I remember you here you very you struggled a lot with the whole student visa thing and getting a job here just because of the administration against you and I also also go ahead yeah my student visa was easier because I was Canadian yeah but I struggled a lot to be able to get a job which mm-hmm. is a whole another a whole other topic in terms of the Trump administration because he also recently canceled foreign visa workers jobs and I could be wrong about this, and you can probably correct me, but I feel like a lot of these top schools, most of their student body is actually coming from international students, or now we're seeing an increasing trend of that. So when you're so, like when you're kind of keeping these students out, that's also hurting the schools themselves. Yeah, exactly. And there's 
You're okay. <laughs> Kai? Kai? Anytime she hears anybody come outside with a stroller, she just starts barking. How is Kai? And for those of you who don't know, Kai is her Shiba Inu. Yeah, sorry. I have a Shiba in you, and you have, if you ever want to get a Shiba in you, just know that they are extremely stubborn creatures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, sorry. What were you... Oh, just about the whole... Um, talking about, like, the students. Her, like, the banning international students was kind of hurt the revenue for these schools themselves. Oh, definitely. Like I said, 45 billion U.S. dollars... Uh, uh, are accounted for by international students each and every single year in the United States. But I think uh, the administration put out this law in order for students to still be able to go to the school because schools haven't decreased their tuition even if they're Mm -hmm. providing online courses. But they just don't want them to be able to come into the country, which is very paradoxical to me. It doesn't work. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of making that law. Precisely, and you've been starting to hear a lot of testimonies by students that were like, if we knew that this was going to happen, we would have applied to Canada or the UK or or to any other country uh, to be able to go to school. Because at the end of the day, it's not only the courses that you take, it's not the education you're getting, but the network that you make and the connections that you build. So especially for students that come from uh, underprivileged uh, incomes, it affects them a lot because the networks that they build are the catalysts that help them get to where they want to get to in the long run. So there's a lot of issues wrong with it, but I'm kind of super excited that Harvard and MIT, and I don't quote, also don't quote me on this, a couple of other universities pitched in, and they're suing against this, uh, this enforcement. Yeah, I feel like people starting to treat the administration like kind of I don't, I don't want to say a joke you know what let's just say it. let's try and try start and treat it, treat it like a joke you got Kanye West trying to run for president right now you have, if that happens you're gonna have Kim Kardashian as first lady which you know nothing against her but like again there's no credentials there where I think Kanye West just woke up one morning he's like you know what I'm gonna run for president and here we are To be honest, I think, in my humble opinion, the current administration has allowed for that to happen. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you're going to look at the current president of the United States of America, where for the last four years, many people have been wondering, how did this individual become president? You might as well just say that you can do anything. If he was able to become president, then anybody can actually do anything if they put their mind to it, or if they have some sort of funding to back them up. Yeah, think about Kanye West thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think about it now. We have like even how Trump won the election back in 2016. Like I really think like he was trolling it from the beginning, and then he actually won. He's like, wow, I actually have to do this now because like he had a guy who was starting like you have never seen someone who started Twitter beef with presidents of North Korea. He was just so out there, and that, that kind of sent like the rhetoric that. Yeah, if Trump can be as boastful as he is, and you, then and he can run and he can win the presidency like that, that means anyone can do it, like you just said. Yeah, it's 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 kind of 
kind of funny, but you also still need the the power of money behind you. And that's technically why he won. Let's be honest. He used the power of making, quote unquote, making America great again by means of uh, boosting its economy and providing uh, low income workers with somewhat of a higher pay, which I'm not really sure that he accomplished pretty well. Sorry, I just dropped my phone. You're good. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) Yeah, which I'm not really sure that he. I'm not sure that he accomplished or not, or maybe his percentages in terms of actually decreasing the unemployment rate were so low that it wasn't worth the amount of um, emotional distress that the entire world has gone through in the last four years. I will say this. So there was an old saying that when America sneezes, the whole world gets sick. So at the end of the day, it's Americans that are voting for their rights, their democratic rights, but their vote actually affects the entire world. And that's become very clear over the last four years. It was always clear in terms of foreign policy because the U.S. has the strong arm to enact anything that it wants. Let's just go back to 2003, George Bush war. He didn't care that he got vetoed by one nation and went ahead and went to war. Yeah, I saw recently that like apparently Iran Iran has like a warrant out for Trump's arrest. (laughs) <laughs> like these, uh, yeah. like it, it's like I was mind blown. When I saw that like people actually out here trying to call him for call him to like take responsibility for his actions and kind of going against the United States. something but then again these past four years i've taught people to like anything is any like you said anything is possible you can be anyone you want do anything you want and the international community is finding it really hard to uphold its standards um so i'm not really sure but that brings us back to kanye west waking like you said he did wake up one day and just decide to run for president but he's also admitted in the past that he does suffer from bipolar syndrome yeah. So, um, so, so maybe it has something to do with that. And there was a recent, uh, I saw a recent, um, this, I'm going to revert back to E! News because it's top celebrity news. Incredible. Um, a recent Kim Kardashian and why she's so silent on the matter is that she, she her and her family try to support Kanye in everything that they do that he does but also know that he goes through and she called them episodes okay so they try to also support him as much as they can during his quote-unquote episodes so they're not sure if this is something that's actually going to go through if it's going to continue if it's if it's viable but i will say that it's kind of it's harmful one because uh there's only two candidates right now trump and biden yep so, in my humble opinion, I believe that if Trump goes ahead and does want to run for presidency, all he's going to be doing is taking away some votes from Biden, mm-hmm. which actually just might—it'll probably work—end up <laughs> to be in the Oval Office at the end of the day. Yeah. Because let's be, let's face it, Kanye West isn't going to win presidency. But hey, I don't know. Also, don't quote me. I didn't think that Trump would win presidency, but here we are, four years later. So. <laughs> no, Kanye. You know, Kanye is the guy who said. I'm the fly Malcolm X, buy any jeans necessary. So, you know, we can look forward to that in 2020. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> He's got a lot of quotables, so maybe those will get him in the office. Well, guys, that's all. We, that's all the time we got today. Reem, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I felt like you really had a lot to say about this topic. I'm glad you. I'm glad you agreed to be on this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm sorry if I spoke way too much. No, 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 honestly. No, honestly, the podcast is about people that around me that help like shape my opinions, using the world, kind of getting out what they have to say, like a platform, so to speak. Now, before we, now before we um, end the show, we usually finish it off with a quote. So if you got one for us. So I do have a quote by Hannah Arendt. And she was a famous uh, German-American philosopher and political theorist who survived the First World War. Um, She has a book called Politics in Dark Times. And in the book, she mentions that the fear of the loss of sovereignty is one of government's greatest fears. She wrote this book, if I'm not mistaken, before she died, and she died in... 1975 so the fact that that quote still holds high and true just says a lot about our world today and how governments are just scrambling to keep their sovereignty well take that message home people okay make sure you guys like comment subscribe and tune into the next episode of between everything and nothing thank you again reem